This is ESG Decoded, the podcast powered by Global Affairs Associates to provide relevant, actionable updates related to business innovation and sustainability. Join Caitlin Allen and Amanda Shea of Global Affairs Associates for thoughtful, nuanced conversations with industry leaders that explore the complexities, the risks, and the opportunities connected to all things ESG. I'm Yvonne Harris, a consultant and co-host, and I will be collaborating with Caitlin and Amanda for the discussions that we will present on this podcast. Put simply, ESG is everything that is not on your balance sheet. This leaves room for misunderstanding, oversimplification, and the tendency towards one-size-fits-all perspectives. None of that will happen on this podcast. Enjoy this episode. Welcome back to ESG Decoded. I'm Amanda Shea, and today I'm very excited to be talking to Ian Vanderglit, VP of Product and Research at Datamran. At Datamran, Ian manages product development, works with internal and external stakeholders to deliver product value to his clients. Before Datamran, he was also head of the data team at CDP, formerly the Carbon Disclosure Project. And before that, he worked at the Global Reporting Initiative, GRI. So Ian's been deep in sustainability, reporting, disclosure, and metrics. I'm very excited to talk with him about the trends he's seeing with the intersection of technology and ESG and just everything that's happening in this space. Ian, how are you doing today? I am very well. Thank you, Amanda. Uh, Great to be here. I'm so glad to have you. First of all, tell our listeners a little bit about Datamaran, kind of, you know, about the, about the platform itself. And then we can kind of get into more of what you're seeing because of the platform and the data you're seeing there. Yep. Datamaran is a cloud-based software solution. Our Clients are predominantly large corporates, so we work with a, a good number of the, the Fortune 500 companies. We do have a, a global reach as well, though, uh, with specific focus on the U.S. and European markets. Our primary objective is to elevate ESG information to boards and senior decision makers to empower them to make the most effective decisions for their business while also obviously supporting the the people and planet side of things. So the primary use case that we've developed and and support is around non-financial materiality. So that's the identification and prioritization of the issues that companies should be managing and disclosing on. And then we launched an executive solution earlier this year which really supports three primary business processes around ESG risk management, sort of the, the, the board involvement in those processes, and then also the reporting and disclosure side of things. So we've seen you know, increased appetite from these senior decision makers as ESG continues to sort of take, take the lead on headlines, you know, increased investment theses built around it, et cetera. There, there is this growing interest in all things ESG that has made its way up to the upper echelons of, uh, of companies, uh, which is really exciting. And really the, the use case that we've aimed to support since we first launched Datamaran seven years ago. So it's, uh, it's an exciting time in the market. Nice. I can't believe it's been seven years. That's amazing. I know. <laughs> <So fast. laughs> that you know, Datamaran has grown, but I think as 
also, you know, the interesting ESG has grown. And we've seen kind of how the interesting ESG investing and how much money has been, you know, been sent that way has just, you know, really rocket shipped um, incredibly as well. You mentioned materiality. Let's talk about that and unpack that just for a moment to make sure our listeners understand. There's financial materiality, which I think a lot of folks in business, especially publicly traded companies, understand that that concept of what's a material topic that then needs to be disclosed in your required financial reports, right? But from an ESG perspective, we use the same term, but it may mean something a little bit different. Help explain that, what ESG materiality is. Certainly. So the the rhetoric continues to evolve, and the the most recent evolution of ESG materiality, I guess, is captured in the the newest EU requirements around double materiality. The idea is basically there are environmental, social, and governance issues that companies have an impact on through their operations. So one side of materiality is what is the impact that my company is having? For instance, by emitting greenhouse gases or you know, through my supply chain and you know, my suppliers operating in, in China, you know, what is the, the impact that my supply chain is having or the way in which I'm managing is having or the impact that I have on my people, my employees? The other side of the equation is you know, the, the impact that those issues can have on the company. So for instance, increased regulation around climate change, the introduction of a carbon tax, for, in- for instance, would have implications on the financial well-being or you know, the, the financial side of, of that equation. So there's also this financial element, and both of those are considered as a company works to assess this ESG landscape, all of the potential issues, and really boil it down to the ones that are most important for their stakeholders to be able to understand the impacts that they're having and the impact that those issues are having on their company. And how those are disclosed might be in different reports. So many companies will issue a standalone sustainability report, and there the common standard used is the Global Reporting Initiative. That's a sort of broader stakeholder disclosure paradigm. It tries to you know, include many different perspectives and it, it represents more of that impact side of things. And then in the financial reports, we see an increasing amount of disclosure as well around ESG topics, which cover more of that financial dimension, the issues that would matter for investors and the ones that may drive different decisions around how well a company is managing those issues that will have a financial impact on them. And are you seeing the similar trend in the U.S. as well, where the definition of materiality from a financial point of view for public trade has been you know, defined by the SEC well, but has not been, I guess, yet defined um, by any U.S. regulatory bodies. What are you seeing? Anything different there? Our, our side of the pond, I guess? Yeah, we're not seeing anything substantially different. And I don't, I don't think that that's a bad thing. You know, this is, this is kind of the Europeans dipping their toes in the water in, uh, in better defining those two sides of the coin. 
I don't, I don't know if they need to be explicitly defined for them to still be considered in that process. And I think, you know, on the US side, it's more implicitly done. Our clients, when we talk about double materiality to our to, to the US side, they, they kind of glaze over in their eyes at this point in time. You know, it's a, a another sort of another thing that they need to consider and oh, the Europeans are doing it. But when we talk more about the implications of being able to distill evidence of certain issues having a financial impact on their companies or certain issues that, you know, they are more likely to be impacting, then it, it, you know, it resonates with them more, you know, in terms of the specific terminology and also adoption of this idea of double materiality. I, I don't think that we're there on, on the U.S. side. Again, probably or perhaps not a bad thing. We'll see how it all unfolds. Yeah. But, the, but the idea, I think people understand and are on board with. And traditionally, the process of identifying material topics has been a very manual process that consultants like my, our, myself, our group, do that involves many stakeholder interviews, a lot of desktop research, of document reviews, and but you're bringing technology into this process to make the process more efficient. Or tell me more about this: how Datamaran is changing this manual process to a more sure. efficient process. Yeah, so it it is undoubtedly a very laborious undertaking. Uh, the the traditional route which as you said is you know requires a lot of time a lot of conversations and a lot of research to to be able to scan that universe and zero in on that set of issues that are most important for the company so what we do is apply a branch of artificial intelligence called natural language processing to the key information sources that are relevant for companies to sort of draw in or, or in a way proxy those stakeholder voices that they otherwise would be engaging with and, and you know, doing workshops and surveys with, kind of cutting through and looking across this universe of ESG issues, being able to say within each of those information sources, what are the most relevant topics for them? And then, you know, helping to helping to drive that obviously augmented still with that stakeholder dialogue. I don't want to say that a materiality process should be devoid of conversations with stakeholders because that remains a really key piece of, of the puzzle, but this helps to make that process easier and, you know, give them something on which to engage. So it's not just a sort of open book. What do you think is important for us to consider as a company, but rather here's a list of issues that we already know have the potential to, to, to be important for us. What do you think about that? Are these important? Uh, are there issues that we might be missing? <clears throat> and so the information sources that we analyze are the corporate reports. So looking at annual financial reports, the annual sustainability reports, and then SEC filings. We have a, a regulatory database that covers both voluntary and mandatory regulations. So the mandatory often issued by governments and the voluntary side, you know, more normative frameworks, the, the standards, for instance, guidance documents that might support the sort of the, the understanding and disclosure around 
ESG. And then we look at online news. So we source from LexisNexis and analyze news relevant to the business space, looking for you know, th- those, those topics that are being discussed in relation to, to the companies that we cover. So all of that helps to guide that process. And then, you know, there's a prioritization mechanism based off of the results that we're seeing and the analytics that we're able to apply that help to create that materiality matrix that everybody knows and loves. You also mentioned earlier ESG risk management. Yeah. Tell me a little bit about that and how technology is helping boards and, and companies management as well, better manage their ESG risk. Sure. So, I mean, it's, it's predicated on much the same idea, which is also that technology allows you to more frequently assess changes within that landscape. So mm-hmm. historically, a materiality process was undertaken, you know, let's say at best once every two years, at, at worst, maybe once every five years. But the reality is that these issues and the importance of these issues are very dynamic. And we've seen that come into play through through this whole COVID fiasco that we've all been experiencing, how quickly a lot of these these different ESG considerations might play out. Employee well-being, for instance, was probably not top of of any disclosure agenda or or, ESG management agenda pre-COVID. But with this idea of needing to take care of your employees in in a time of stress and just kind of uncertainty, it's really jumped to the fore in, in that. And you would only be able to, to, to get those sort of more real-time insights by applying technology and using that to keep your finger on, on the pulse of this environment in which we're operating. And so what we've done is, is kind of employed that more you know, real-time analytics to be able to look at that landscape how that landscape is changing and what that might mean for risk management processes. You know, we, we talk a lot about the, the sort of reporting and disclosure side, but that's obviously the tail end of all of this. What, what's most important is actually what the company is doing to manage it. So, you know, the, the identification prioritization of issues is important, but then what they're actually doing about that is, is where it comes into play. And so that's, that's the, the spin that we're trying to, trying to leverage. How do you then take that and apply that in your risk register? How do you elevate that so that senior decision makers are aware of you know, what, what climate change or you know, something perhaps more obscure, what biodiversity might mean for your company and the risks that and opportunities that that those issues may present. Ian, what do you think or any predictions on what the US SEC, the Securities and Exchange Commission, will put forth as their proposal for ESG disclosures from publicly traded companies? So we're awaiting any day now some further guidance on how the SEC is specifically going to suggest disclosure around climate change. I would not be surprised if that aligns quite closely to the Task Force on Climate-Related Financial Disclosure recommendations, the TCFD recommendations that 
were made available in 2017 based off of a, a G20 working group that was pulled together and, and was actually industry-led. So that's become kind of the, the de facto standard around climate change risk assessment and disclosure. So I expect that it will fall in line there. More generally, what we're seeing in, in the policy space is consolidation of a lot of the reporting standards. So recently, the IFRS Foundation has kind of taken in the Climate Disclosure Standards Board and then the Value Reporting Foundation, which in itself was was a recently created body comprised of the International Integrated Reporting Council and the Sustainability Accounting Standards Board, so the IIRC and SASB. So, you know, all of this demonstrates a need in the market to reduce that acronym alphabet soup that we always talk about in the space to have clearer guidance for companies on what should be disclosed and, and how to disclose it. And what we'll also see, I think, is, is increased enforcement measures. A lot of the historic SEC guidance has been just that, guidance without much teeth behind it. I don't know whether the SEC will step that up at all, but they, they were doing a bit of a, an undertaking as to how the 2010 guidance that they issued was applied by companies and using that as a springboard to see how they could perhaps increase that, that enforcement mechanism. And I think we're seeing that across the board also on the, the European side where the EU taxonomy, which is going to be required as of January, the, the first disclosures around it. And it's a rundown of all of the green activities that a, a company undertakes. So companies themselves will be required to disclose the percentage of revenue and potentially CapEx and OpEx for their green activities. And then it relates to the financing side because asset managers will be required to disclose the proportion of their funds that are aligned with those green activities based on, on the companies that, that are constituents to the fund. So, you know, it, it, it works in this sort of the, the company financing paradigm and aims to, to, to really close that green gap. They started with climate change and then we'll be moving across the environmental themes and, and eventually addressing also the, the social elements of ESG. So I think this approach to developing a taxonomy is also something that we're going to see more regimes beginning to adopt. The EU often is, is kind of the, the, the test case, the sounding board for a lot of these ideas. And they have very ambitious goals. So we'll, we'll see how that plays out. But I expect if all goes according to plan, then we will also see that sort of proliferate in different areas around the world. What are you seeing any trends in, in Asia? We hear a lot about the Singapore Stock Exchange, but I mean, they're still relatively small, but we you know, hear about them. That's when it comes up most in my world. But what are you hearing or seeing out there? Yeah, I mean, a lot of the stock exchanges, you know, there's the Sustainable Stock Exchange Initiative that was set up many years ago now. A lot of the exchanges also in, in Asia, you know, Hong, Hong Kong have put in place certain disclosure requirements, you know, increasingly also aligning with the TCFD and in that way are using their clout to kind of 
push the ESG agenda within the corporate space. So I think we'll we'll see that that trend continuing. Uh, I'm not sure about how else those Asian countries are going to be sort of amending their policies, but uh, you know, again, I think I think the general theme that we can expect is more taxonomies and more enforcement measures that we're going to see being put in place. I was definitely talking to some of my lawyer friends and hearing about the SEC looking more into misrepresentation, what we call greenwashing a lot. And again, we'll see what what they decide to do about it. But definitely I was hearing from my lawyer friends about the interest uh, from the US SEC into yep. greenwashing. And it's it's a big topic. Um, and you know, whether I don't I don't like to think that all companies are sort of nefarious, but um, when when ESG gets in the hand of hands of marketing teams, then you know it 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 can often spin out into some form of misrepresentation, whether it was intentional or not. But that in the end is problematic for consumers of information because it, it is a misrepresentation of what they're doing and the and the value that they're bringing or how they're managing these ESG issues. So you know I I think that that as ESG continues to, to take the mainstream, we will necessarily see more of that scrutiny of what's being disclosed and how factual it is. In addition to you know, companies' commitments, for instance, we've seen after COP26, a lot of commitments being made, a lot of net zero claims, which in and of itself is, is fantastic, but they need to follow through with them. And I think, you know, as, as we see this unfolding over the coming years and we see trajectories towards achieving or not achieving those goals will be the, you know, the real litmus test as to how serious those claims are. The role of technology in a wider application, technology in and and of itself is an enabler. And I think as we continue to see technological advances, then it also means increased opportunity to, to find new ways of doing things and, and to find new insights. So, you know, some of, the, some of the cool things that I think could be done within that space, remote sensing of greenhouse gas emissions, for instance, could be a way to sort of independently verify the amount of emissions that, that companies are actually putting into the atmosphere by using remote sensing capabilities and you know allocating those to specific operations equally you know blockchain which was uh, sort of the the hot term maybe 5 years ago that everybody used but nobody actually knew about you know i i still think has a lot of potential application for instance for traceability and transparency in the supply chain to be able to have uh, a, an immutable ledger of how goods have transferred from source to to the, the end consumer for instance to be able to uh, you know reflect and represent that the fair trade side of things the you know the the sort of organic agriculture or whatever it may be to help support also those those company commitments and claims and ambitions for increased transparency in the supply chain so those are just a couple of other kind of cool applications of, of technology that I, I think can really help to push the, the, the ESG space. And I think it's a really exciting time to be working in this field because of 
all of this focus and, and effort and commitment. Now we just need to make sure that we push that in the right direction and, and aim to make real change where it needs to be made. I think technology is just a, a running thread through a lot of our podcasts as well. I mean, of course, talking to you today, but also spoke earlier this year with Paige Marie Morris at Aspen Tech, who's applying industrial AI to improve processes, but also design as well. And in that process, making more sustainable products, also increase proving safety or lowering emissions, et cetera, et cetera. That was a really neat application of AI. And then recently talked to Mark Williams from DataSide as well, applying AI to due diligence and, and, and MAE transactions and just the insights that AI is able to pull out in a very quick amount of time. That's yep. the difference. Yep. Just the speed of which it's able to develop those insights. It's quite amazing. So I agree with you. I think it's really fascinating. And that's why we're always interested in talking to technology companies about, you know, what's happening in this is connected with ESG and where the trends you're seeing. And like you said, on the blockchain side, I'm also looking forward in addition to supply chain, which is my background. I'm also looking forward to seeing how can it be applied to carbon offsets, plastic credits, the whole, you know, environmental commodities markets, let's say, especially if we're looking at potentially a carbon price in sometime in, you know, the future. I think that'd be all really neat stuff. So absolutely. Unfortunately, I think the it's a bit cost prohibitive at the moment because you you need to need to hire quite expensive consultants to <laughs> to help set everything up. But you know, as as we continue to to grow and learn more and find these applications, then, you know, the, the market will, uh, will undoubtedly find those solutions that really help to make a difference. And on the, the M&A side, we, we also have a work with a couple of law firms on that due diligence piece. So, you know, definitely a lot of interest in, in that as well. And, you know, the, the application of artificial intelligence to help support that, make it easier, make it more efficient. So r- resonates. Okay, so then the only other hot topic in, in tech we didn't talk about is the metaverse and where's the intersection of the metaverse and ESG? <laughs> I have no idea. I'm just throwing it out there. Any idea? Yeah, no, we're just, uh, if we just plant a lot of trees in the metaverse, then <laughs> then that's basically offsetting our real world impact, right? Ian, thanks so much for joining me today. It's been really fun talking to you and just really insightful to learn about what's ha- what the trends you're seeing and also again this convergence or intersection of, of technology and ESG um, if people want to reach out to you is the best way LinkedIn or some other way LinkedIn or Ian at datamoran.com just shoot me an email yeah would would love to connect with folks all right thank you so much Ian thank you Amanda appreciate it thank you for listening to ESG decoded Subscribe to this podcast wherever you consume yours and follow ESG Decoded and Global Affairs Associates across social media platforms. Until our next episode, take what you learned today to drive long-term value for your organization by doing good for people and for the planet.